This is, is Max Hedrum, and what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister-sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced, the Max Hedrum Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of Cryptique. Listen to the metronome. You're getting sleepy. You will click the subscribe button now. And 3, 2, 1, you're awake. We'll see if that worked. Dude, that, that buzzer, that was, <laughs> was perfect. perfect I know. Alright, sorry. We'll see if that worked. I'm joined tonight, as always, by my co-pilot on this journey through the cosmos from the ill side, Ryan. How are we doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, although my voice is still not joining me 100%. How are you? Pretty good. I'm excited about this one. I used to love Max Headroom when I was a kid. But real quick, don't forget to check out our other podcasts, Movie Howl and Exploring Evil. But let's get into it. What are we talking about tonight? Tonight we are talking about Max Headroom, a fictional artificial intelligence character portrayed by actor Matt Frewer. Advertised as the first computer-generated TV presenter, Max was known for his biting commentary on a variety of topical issues, arrogant wit, stuttering, and pitch-shifting voice. The character was created by George Stone, Annabelle Jankel, and Rocky Morton. Max was advertised as computer-generated, and some believe this to be true, but he was actually portrayed by actor Matt Frewer, as we mentioned before, Wearing prosthetic makeup and contact lenses while wearing a plastic molded suit and sitting in front of a blue screen. Harsh lighting and other editing and recording effects were used to heighten the illusion of a CGI character. According to his creators, Max's personality was meant to be a satirical exaggeration of the worst tendencies of television hosts in the 1980s who wanted to appeal to youth culture yet weren't part of it. Matt Furrer proposed that Max also reflected the innocence of a person whose views were largely influenced not by mentors and life experience, but by information absorbed from television. Max Headroom first debuted in April of 1985 on Channel 4 in the British-made cyberpunk TV movie Max Headroom, 20 minutes into the future, which provided an origin story. In the movie, Edison Carter, portrayed by Frewer, is a journalist fleeing enemies in a parking garage when he is forced into a motorcycle crash, causing him to break through an entrance barrier reading Max Headroom 2.3 meters. While Carter is unconscious, an AI program based on his mind is created. Developing its own personality, the AI identifies as Max Headroom and becomes a TV host who exists only on broadcast signals and computer systems. Like Carter, Max openly challenges the corporations that run his world, but through commentary and sarcastic wit rather than journalism. Sort of like us. Yeah, yeah, a little bit like us. Two days after the TV movie was broadcast, Max appeared as the host of Channel 4's The Max Headroom Show, a TV program where he introduced music videos, commented on various topics, and eventually interviewed guests before a live studio audience. During its second and third year, The Max Headroom Show also aired in the U.S. on Cinemax. Max Headroom became a global spokesperson for New Coke, appearing on many TV commercials with the catchphrase, Catch the Wave. And, uh, that's terrible. That's probably the worst use for a character like that. And an awful product for him to be a a spokesperson for, or a spokes AI for. Uh, After the the cancellation of the Max Headroom show, Matt Furrer portrayed both Max and Edison Carter in the 1987 American TV drama series Max Headroom on ABC. 
The series was canceled during its second year. Max's appearance and style of speech has influenced and been referenced by different media since, such as digital Ronald Reagan in Back to the Future 2 and Eminem's 2013 Rap God video wherein the rapper resembles Max Headroom. So Max Headroom is kind of a just a cool concept. I mean, it's kind of the genesis of a lot of things that we see today. And when he came out, I didn't understand that it was a person in prosthetics. They did a great job with the special effects to make it look like he was actually a computer-generated person. Yeah, I would agree. So, the development in concept. With the rising popularity of music videos with youth culture and stations such as MTV when they played music, Mm. Channel 4 decided to host its own music video program. There's nothing like the suits at a giant multinational corporation playing music for the youth, right? They get to decide what we hear. I mean, this is, hold on, this is BBC, right? So a giant multinational government-controlled corporation. Right, right. Um, Rocky Morton, whose name is pretty kick-ass in its own right, was tasked to come up with a graphic that would play before and after the videos, make it clear to audiences these were features of a special show, and not just music videos airing at random between TV commercials. Taking the inspiration from MTV video jockeys and US TV hosts, Rocky Morton decided a graphic or bumper video would not appeal to youth nearly as much as a host with a loud personality. He also thought British youth would be suspicious of a youthful personality attempting to appeal to them and might instead appreciate the cynical irony of a host who appeared to be a conservative man in a simple suit and tie attempting to appeal to youth but not having a true understanding of their culture. And I mean we see that just repeated over and over and over with the politicians on both sides of the aisle doing their best to not have any conflicting views and try and get as many people to vote for them or watch them or listen to them or whatever as possible. And he saw the host as, quote, the most boring thing that I could think of to do, a talking head, a middle-class white male in a suit, talking to them in a really boring way about music videos. Morton also thought the host should be computer-generated or animated. The Max Headroom character in his original appearance was rooted in a dystopian near future dominated by television and large corporations devised by George Stone and eventual scriptwriter Steve Roberts. And they really weren't too far off in no. what was coming. The character's name came from the last thing Carter saw during a vehicular accident that put him into a coma. A traffic warning sign marked Max Headroom, suspended across a car park entrance, or as we would note in the States, a parking garage. The name originated well before the other aspects of the character from George Stone, who remarked the phrase, Max Headroom, was over the entranceway of every car park in the UK. Instant branding. Instant recognition. It was also decided Max Headroom was a comically ironic name for a host who implied he knew and understood everything, as the name indicated his brain or head was actually empty of true knowledge and wisdom. 
In discussing Max's fictional origin story, it was first proposed that he could be an AI created to stand in for a human TV host who was late for his own show. The backstory would be revealed through different five-minute segments during the first season of the Max Headroom Show. When Channel 4 decided Max's origin would be featured in an hour-long TV movie instead, an expanded story was developed and the origin was altered to now involve a crusading journalist named Edison Carter. On April 4, 1985, the TV movie Max Headroom, 20 minutes into the future, introduced Max to television audiences. The classic look for the character is a shiny dark suit often paired with Ray-Ban Wayfarer's sunglasses. Other than the publicity for the character, the real image of Max was not computer generated. So just to be clear, the actor Matt Frewer already had very uh, strong jawline and cheekbones and a a very strong presence to which they added prosthetics to try and make him look computer generated and they did a kick-ass job i think mm, definitely but we're here to talk about the max headroom signal hijacking what do we know about that the max headroom signal hijacking occurred on the night of november 22nd 1987 when the television broadcasts of two stations in chicago illinois were hijacked in an act of broadcast piracy by a video of an unidentified person wearing a Max Headroom mask and costume, accompanied by distorted audio and a corrugated iron panel swiveling in the background to mimic Max Headroom's geometric background effect. The first incident took place during the sports segment of independent TV station WGN-TV's 9pm newscast and lasted about 25 seconds. The second incident occurred about two hours later during PBS member station WTTW's broadcast of Doctor Who and lasted for about 90 seconds. A good reprieve for people (laughs) that are watching Doctor Who. Sorry, Doctor Who fans. I'm not into it. Mm. I tried to get into it. I watched Mm -hmm. part of, like, the... Not not the original Doctor Who, like, way back when, but when they brought it back in the early 2000s. And I watched probably four or five episodes, and I told my buddy, I was like, this is kind of boring. Like, what... What what are you into? He's like, oh, you gotta you gotta suffer through the first couple seasons, and then it gets good. And I was like, nah, I don't mm-hmm. I don't think I'm gonna do that. Right. But I mean, it's got millions of people watching it. But from what I've heard, this last couple seasons, you could have done with uh, Max Headroom breaking. <laughs> anyway, uh, despite an FCC investigation and decades of speculation, the culprits were never caught and have never been positively identified. Uh, as I said earlier, the first intrusion took place during the sports segment of WGN's 9 o'clock news. Home viewer screens went black for about 15 seconds, then displayed the footage of a person wearing a Max Headroom mask and sunglasses rocking erratically in front of a rotating corrugated metal panel, mimicking the real Max Headroom's geometric background, and was accompanied by a staticky, garbled buzzing sound. The entire intrusion lasted for about 28 seconds and was cut off when the engineers at WGN changed the frequency of the signal linking the broadcast studio to the station's transmitter atop the John Hancock Center. Nice. So, I don't think that, and we'll talk about what actually happened on this hijacking. There's a lot of if I was to hijack a signal, I would have an important message, whereas this was more of a uh, kind of watch the world burn hijacking or, or whatever you want to call it, where he didn't really use this pulpit to 
get a message out or anything like that. It was just kind of more, in my opinion, like, screw you guys, look what I can do. Yeah. Almost like just a test. Yeah. Doing it to show you he can. You should hook up with the old ones of your tribe. That is the only way to learn. I'll get you a hot drink, miss. Oh, I can Tell a massive electric shock, he died instantly. The generator? Were you always so careful? Upon returning to the airwaves, WGN sports anchor Dan Roan commented, quote, Well, if you're wondering what's happened, so am I, and joked that the computer running the news took off and went wild. End quote. Rome then proceeded to restart his report of the day's Chicago Bears game, which had been interrupted by the intrusion. That same night at about 11.20 p.m., the signal of local PBS station WTTW was interrupted during an airing of the Doctor Who serial Horror of Fang Rock. Just to be clear, that was Horror of Fang Rock. <laughs> if it was Horror of Fang Rock, that might get some more viewers, but we'll save that I for later. I would have interrupted that. <laughs> the culprit was the same Max Headroom impersonator, this time speaking with distorted audio. The mask figure made a comment about nerds, apparently called WGN sportscaster Chuck Swirsky a, quote, frickin' liberal, held up a can of Pepsi while saying, catch the wave. And we talked about that being the Coke slogan. So he uh, kind of gave Coca-Cola the middle finger, which, you know, that could be a good thing. <laughs> Actually he didn't kind of give them a middle finger he held up a middle finger inside what appeared to be a hollowed out dildo yeah Classic. so again it's kind of a screw you it's not a political statement the figure then ran through a series of quick comments and song snippets interspersed with excited noises and exclamations max sang the phrase your love is fading hummed part of the theme song to the 1959 animated series Clutch Cargo and said, I still see the X. This was a reference to the last episode of that show, which is sometimes misheard as I Stole CBS. And Clutch Cargo 
is have you ever seen it i don't think so i'm gonna google an image of it real quick so it's what they called an animated series where basically they had uh, pictures with mouth holes cut out where instead of actually animating they would just put a person's mouth in that little hole that was cut out and that's when they yeah in any case uh, he also feigned defecation and complained of his piles so there's that and explain (laughs) that he had quote made a giant masterpiece for all of the greatest world newspaper nerds wgn's call letters stand for world's greatest newspaper and he discussed sharing a pair of dirty gloves with his brother so after a crude video edit the person had moved mostly off screen to the left with his partially exposed buttocks visible from the side with a female figure appearing on the right edge of the frame the unworn max headroom mask with the dildo placed inside the mouth was briefly held in view while the voice cried out oh no they're coming to get me ah make it stop end quote and the female figure began spanking max with a riding crop which is essentially a stick with kind of a square fly swatter looking thing on the end of it The image faded briefly into static, and then viewers were returned to the Doctor Who broadcast after a total interruption of about 90 seconds. Technicians at WTTW Studios could not counteract the signal takeover because there were no engineers on duty at that hour at the Sears Tower, where the station's broadcast tower was located. I mean, seriously? You don't have technicians on hand? It's amazing to me. You are a huge network you have a broadcast tower on the top of sears tower but you're like eh, we'll let the engineers take the night off Mm -hmm. i mean that's just silly to me but that kind of goes to show corporate greed and how this may have been you know prevented or at least cut off a lot quicker had they not been too cheap to have an engineer on staff at all times yeah (laughs) but According to station spokesperson Anders Yoakum, technicians monitoring the transmission from WTTW headquarters attempted to take corrective measures, but couldn't. Air Director Paul Rizzo recalled that, quote, As the content got weirder, we got increasingly stressed out about our inability to do anything about it. The pirate broadcast ended when the hijackers unilaterally ended their transmission. Yoakum said, quote, By the time our people began looking into what was going on, it was over. All right, I'm back. We should totally put like a two-minute podcast promo together and just invade the waves somewhere. Try and take over a radio broadcast or something like that. That'd be kick-ass. All right, you want to talk about investigations? Uh, Yeah. The broadcast intrusion was achieved by sending a more powerful microwave link transmission to the two stations' broadcast towers than the stations were sending themselves, which was a difficult task in 1987, but was possible before American television stations switched from analog to digital signals in 2009. Experts have said that the intrusion required extensive technical expertise and, quote, a significant amount of transmitting power, end quote and that the pirate broadcast likely originated from somewhere in the line of sight of both stations' broadcast towers, which were atop tall buildings in downtown Chicago. 
Chirac. And yeah, and um, Chirac. And those two towers are not that far away from each other. Like Chicago's a big city. Mm-hmm. Those two towers are not super, super far away from each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that should yeah. that should narrow it down kind of considerably. Well, you but can do still, geographic. Uh, what do they call it? Geographic profiling. I mean, mm-hmm. if it, you could probably you know draw a, a line in between or draw a circle around those two towers and put a dot in the middle, and that's probably where it came from. Yeah, but then I might land on a building that has like five thousand people living in it. Who knows? Oh yeah, yeah. You know? True. True. Nobody ever claimed responsibility for the stunt. In the years since, speculation about the identities of Max and his co-conspirators has centered around the theories that the prank was either an inside job by a disgruntled employee or a former employee of WGN or was carried out by members of Chicago's underground hacker community. And maybe this would be a good place to point out that hacker used to be a term for anybody who liked to tinker with stuff or mess with stuff. Okay. So, like, if you go to Micro Center and you see people buying computer parts to build their own computer, back in the day, they would have called themselves hackers. Okay. There was even, um, I'm pretty sure that uh, Click and Clack, you know, from Car Talk back in the day, the garage that they had was called uh, Hacker's Haven, I think, because it was for people to work on and experiment with their own vehicles. Hmm. So, hacker doesn't necessarily mean like a malicious group the way we think of it now. It might mean people literally just experimenting to see what they can build and see what they can do, you know, themselves. And the term hacker does have a negative connotation to it, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of positive things that hackers have done. And yeah. they may be illegal, but not necessarily immoral. And right. we've heard stories of the hacker group anonymous uh kind of attacking russian yeah like russian communications or infrastructure yeah despite an official law enforcement investigation in the aftermath of the incident and unofficial investigations in the years that followed the identities and motives of the hijackers remain a mystery an fcc official quoted soon after the intrusion that the perpetrators faced a maximum fine of one hundred thousand dollars and up to a year in prison which, let me actually figure out what that would be today. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, in, I mean, a year so this in was prison. 87? Yeah. So, hundred. it's not that, well, it's a big difference, but not that big. Uh, $100,000 in 87 would be equivalent to about $246,633.79 in 2021. Nice. Since inflation calculators don't usually go to the present year. True. Uh, so, I mean, a year in prison, you know, I, I could see saying, hey, that airtime cost $100,000. I mean, mm-hmm. that makes sense. You can put a dollar amount on airtime, right? Yeah. But a year in prison for something like that? Come on, man. I, I have done numerous episodes where murderers and rapists they get a couple years in prison but we're going to put this guy or this group or this girl in prison for a year for this come on now yeah yeah i i I watched stuff talking about like the drugs epidemic Mm -hmm. and that part of the sort of motivation behind so many people getting into it was essentially that the punishment was so much less back in the day 
mm-hmm. before drugs offenses got so much more serious. Yeah. You know, because it seems like every every new government administration wants to crack down harder on it. Right. You know, so there was a point where it's like you do years and years in prison for stealing a couple grand from like an armored truck or a store. Right. And you would do year and a half, two years for smuggling like what could be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of drugs. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those things where... Yeah, sometimes there were like weirdly uneven punishments. Yeah. And most criminals, despite what you might think, are not like big time criminals are not stupid. Right. They they're gonna calculate their risk and they're gonna figure out something. That's probably why nobody would bother doing this. Like what are you mm-hmm. gonna get out of hacking T V broadcasts except for a lot of prison time if you get caught. Right. What are you in for? Well, uh I got spanked with a writing crop on WGN. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had uh, Max Edrum had a dildo coming out of his mouth, so uh, yeah. yeah, that doesn't get you much cred in prison, I'm sure. Although they might like the fact that you hacked in, but yeah, it's not the same as you know. I killed three people with my bare hands. Mm. I don't know. It, it's interesting, and it's cool that to me that here we are so far along since then, and it's never been figured out, and. Right. I also have respect for the fact that the pirates chose to remain anonymous instead of coming out. And, you know, if they were 19, 21, 23 when it happened, and now they're in their mid-40s, it's not as cool to come out and be like, hey, guess what I did? But in 1992, maybe if they would have been 27, 30, that would still be, you know, a time when, when people would want to come out and be like check out what i did dude yeah. fuck the system but i don't know so they've never never been identified revealed whatever um but yeah i just i thought this was a cool story and you know there's other signal hijackings that obviously have taken place but max headroom being a pop icon and i didn't know this about Max Hedrum before, you know, we did the research for this, but I didn't realize, you know, as a kid, like, oh, he's kind of speaking out against corporations. Now I look at that and I'm like, wow, that's actually really cool. So, yeah. but I don't know. Any other final thoughts? Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit like the whole idea of Max Hedrum becoming a Coke spokesperson. Mm-hmm. There's a, an episode of Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. where it's a similar sort of thing like the world is basically run by giant corporations and television is kind of the main source of information for people and there's one character who towards the end he gets like totally fed up like everything he tries fails every you know people he tries to that he he's trying to help mm-hmm. you know things just go totally wrong so he grabs like a piece of glass and holds it up to his throat and he's like threatening to kill himself and he's like goes off on this rant about like how screwed up the system is. Right. And it essentially like really quickly shows this transition to where he's on TV holding this glass to his throat regularly. Like doing this sort of underground like YouTuber going against the system kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's totally for the system. 
Mm. Like it pans away and he like takes the glass and puts it on this like pillow that an assistant is holding and like he's in his mansion and whatever. Because yeah. people responded to this against the system thing and he became part of it. And that's kind so, of what this reminds me of. So he just like got rich off of pretending like he was bucking the system, you mean? Yeah, like he okay. was seen doing this on TV. Mm-hmm. And the people who he was there in front of watching him were like, oh my god, that's like an amazing performance. I'll, I'll totally give you a show on my network mm. to do this kind of thing. Like, people love this. And he just becomes part of the system he was trying to fight. As so often is the case, I mean, we read about, you know, electric cars from 70 years ago. Well, what happened to those? Well, I mean, mm. GM and Ford and these car companies bought out the copyrights. I mean, if you were an inventor and you've spent $10,000 on this and you, even if you're doing it for the right reason, like, hey, we need to get off fossil fuels, if you believe in that, when, you know, you're like us, right? We're just trying to make it. You know, we want to feed our family, uh, go out and have a drink every once in a while, you know, be free to work where we want to work and say what we want to say. But, I mean, it would be hard. Like, if the government came in and said, hey, we'll buy Cryptique for $3 million, that would be hard to turn down. And it's just a drop in the bucket for some people, but it's life-changing money. Becoming part of the system is easier than you might think because... We all have morals and ethics and things like that, but you know it's true what they say. Everybody's got a price, and sometimes that price is death, but yeah. most of the time yeah. it's money. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to do something with my bar that's totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of a place for people like me who are sort of misfits in school and whatever else. My bank, like the banker who's been helping me through all this, kind of warned me at one point. He's like, you know, you have to be you have to think about some of this stuff like exit strategies and things like that and what you want to do mm-hmm. he said it's entirely possible for somebody who owns one place like this to have somebody walk in someday and just be like here's a check what do you mm-hmm. want for this place or i'll give you you know this amount like some amount of money that's going to be like flustering and difficult yeah. to say no to and he's like you have to yeah. know in advance what you really want yeah like how you want things to go if you want out of it if you don't want out of it like you know is this something you're committed to or do you have a price to let it go and potentially become part of the culture you're going against do you have a price (laughs) no not really not in mind i think i would just bask in it if somebody offered me money i'd just be like you think it's worth this much Mm -hmm. unless it was really insultingly low in which case that would just bother me yeah, that would be a slap in the face. <laughs> you know, yeah. you put blood, sweat, and tears into it, so what's the price for that? Right. Well, after a quick break, we'll be talking about the Bunny Man in Bunny Man Bridge. This is, is Max and what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister-sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced, the Max
Do you love true crime? Can't get enough? You need to check out Exploring Evil, the true crime podcast that covers lesser-known and international serial killers, bizarre murders, and murders with a paranormal twist. Did you know there was a serial killer who only killed murderers and pedophiles? The real-life Dexter is covered in a recent episode of Exploring Evil. You can find Exploring Evil on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy. And if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, Boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. So in this two-part episode, the second part will hopefully creep you out. What are we talking about? Tonight we are talking about, or this portion of tonight, we are talking about the Bunnyman and Bunnyman Bridge. The Bunnyman is an urban legend that originated from two incidents in Fairfax County, Virginia in 1970, but has spread throughout the Washington, D.C. and Maryland areas. The legend has many variations, most involving a man wearing a rabbit costume who attacks people with an axe or hatchet. Most of the stories occur around Colchester Overpass, a southern railway overpass spanning Colchester Road near Clifton, Virginia, sometimes referred to as Bunny Man Bridge. Versions of the legend vary in the Bunny Man's name, motives, weapons, victims, description of the bunny costume or lack thereof, and sometimes even his possible death. So these all sound like kind of red flags that this is just an urban legend. Absolutely. In some accounts, victims' bodies are mutilated, and in some variations, the bunny man's ghost or aging specter... What the fuck is an aging specter? (laughs) An old ghost. Yeah, but do ghosts get old? Well, they don't get any younger. (laughs) None of us do. (laughs) In some accounts, victims' bodies are mutilated, and in some variations, the bunny man's ghost is said to come out of his place of death each year on Halloween to commemorate his passing. Fairfax County Public Library historian, archivist, Brian A. Conley, which he has quite a title, extensively researched the Bunny Man legend. He has located two incidents of a man in a rabbit costume threatening people with an axe. The vandalism reports occurred 10 days apart in 1970 in Burke, Virginia. So it's odd that they're referring to them as vandalism reports. Mm Mm-hmm. The first incident was reported on the evening of October 19, 1970, by U.S. Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett and his fiancée, who were visiting relatives on Guinea Road in Burke. 
Around midnight while returning from a football game, they reportedly parked their car in a field on Guinea Road to, quote, visit an uncle who lived across the street from where the car was parked, end quote. If, if we're talking urban legend, wouldn't it be more likely that they park there to make out? Yeah, that's why it's in quotes, I think. Yeah. I think there, I think, I think there was some nooky nooky going on in that car that night. <laughs> Getting after it like bunnies. Yeah, that's right. As they sat in the front seat with the motor running, they noticed something moving outside the rear window. Moments later, the front passenger window was smashed, and there was a white-clad figure standing near that broken window. Bennett turned the car around while the man screamed at them about trespassing, including, You're on private property, and I have your tag number. As they drove down the road, the couple discovered a hatchet on the car floor. When the police Presumably, requested the hatchet would have come from the attacker smashing the window and I guess losing the hatchet when he hit the window. I mean, that's the only way it would make sense that they're like, oh shit, there's a hatchet on the floor. Did you bring a hatchet, honey? No, I didn't bring my hatchet today. Uh, Did you bring your hatchet? Oh, you didn't bring your football hatchet? Your lucky hatchet? (laughs) As they drove down the road, the couple discovered a hatchet on the car floor, as I was saying, presumably dropped by the bunny man when he smashed the window. Mm -hmm. Uh, When the police requested a description of the man, Bennett insisted he was wearing a white suit with long bunny ears. However, Bennett's fiance contested their assailant did not have bunny ears on his head, but was wearing a white caparote or pontiff-type pope hat of some sort. So I just put that in there. Um, I think that most people will be able to picture in their mind what the pope's hat looks like. Yeah. Not the little bowl that they wear to cover their bald spots, but the uh, pointy uh, yeah. kind of, it almost looks like a sail on a ship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They both remembered seeing his face clearly, but in the darkness, they could not determine his race. The police returned the hatchet to Bennett after examination, which is interesting. Right. If you want this as a souvenir, you can just have it back. <laughs> uh, the second report sighting occurred on the evening of October 29, 1970, when construction security guard Paul Phillips approached a man standing on the porch of an unfinished home in Kings Park West on Kinney Road. Phillips said the man was wearing a gray, black, and white bunny costume and was about 20 years old, 5 foot 8 inches tall, and weighed about 175 pounds. So was that 5 foot 8 including the height of the bunny ears, or were the bunny ears like folded down like it was a sad bunny? That's a good question. It was probably a sad bunny. (laughs) Probably a sad bunny. Otherwise, that's a really small guy. Right. Uh, The man began chopping at the porch post with a long-handled axe, saying, You are trespassing. If you come any closer, I'll chop off your head. The Fairfax County Police opened investigations into both incidents, but both were eventually closed for lack of evidence. So what happened next? Well, let's talk about this for a second. Um, Picture old uh, photographs of kids with the Easter Bunny, right? Mm -hmm. So... You don't have any kids, but I'm sure you've been to like Bass Pro Shop when they have the Easter Bunny there or place, you know, a mall or something like that. Yeah. But as you go back in time, the costumes are extremely disturbing. And we all know the bunny costume from Donnie Darko. I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably watched Donnie Darko at some point. It's a pretty good movie. It's a cult classic. It's vaunted by some as a masterpiece. And then there's others that are like, eh, it was a cool idea. But if you just Google 
Easter Bunny Pictures 1970, it's not going to be uh, a Bugs Bunny looking rabbit. It's going to be like a disheveled, saggy, wrinkly, creepy faced bunny that probably has gnarled teeth that are showing. I don't know why they made costumes like that back then, but that's what led to uh, kids hating the Easter Bunny, I would think. But just don't, don't pick, when you picture this, don't picture a, what you would see at the mall this Easter. Picture something that you would see in the 70s, a creepy bunny costume. And that could be extremely scary because sometimes we take things that are meant to be fun and happy and then pervert them and make them scary and nasty. And that is very effective in creating fear. Mm. If you can imagine... If any of these are true, you park with your girl or your guy or whatever, and someone comes out in a bunny suit and a with an axe, that's going to be more terrifying than somebody just coming out with an axe. So, right. I don't know. But in the weeks following the incidents, more than 50 people contacted the police claiming to have seen the bunny man. Several newspapers, including the Washington Post, reported that the bunny man had eaten a man's runaway cat. We all know bunnies are vegetarians, but I don't know. The Post articles that mentioned the incident were, in 1973, Patricia Johnson, a student at the University of Maryland College Park, submitted a research paper that chronicled precisely 54 variations on the two incidents. The more variations you have, the stronger the evidence is that it's an urban legend or made up, in my opinion. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Sorry, I was actually just looking at pictures of what bunny rabbit, like bunny rabbit costumes used to look like. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely horrifying. I found it one is. that looks kind of fun from like a White House egg hunt back in the day, but. Let me see, it's from 1970. Oh, that was the real Easter Bunny. That's not <laughs> yeah, costume. that's why he doesn't look all, like, strung out. Right. A meth-fueled, rampaging right. bunny man with a an axe. Uh, so anyway, yeah, per, 54 variations on two incidents is a lot. And we also have to look into the possibility and and in my opinion probability that people would hear this story and be like oh let's get a bunny costume and go down to make out point and just scare the shit out of everybody or let's stand kind of in the woods on the side of the road and when a car comes by we walk out and stand by the side of the road with an axe to kind of perpetuate the myth yeah well there are a lot of videos like that now Mm mm-hmm I've seen a lot of videos online about, like, with things like that, like people in bunny costumes, people in clown costumes. I assume they're all pranks like that or or videos that people are making to purposely try to scare people. Yeah, you would think most of them would be people trying to scare people because if you're actually trying to abduct someone, you're probably not going to be conspicuous or at least try not to be as conspicuous as somebody in a bunny suit would be Mm -hmm. Uh, but there is a case uh, I don't remember the exact 
uh, people that were involved, but a case where a man was having an affair with a woman and this man and his family they had like a thing for clowns which is weird if you walk into somebody's house and they've got like clown memorabilia everywhere clowns are generally i think considered scary now like do people still think that they're funny or is it just all scary now i would think it's all scary now right so this woman who was having the affair with the guy dressed up in a clown costume and she went to this family's front door and since they were all clown people i guess uh clown Mm. fanatics whatever you want to call them she thought oh this is great you know this clown has balloons and a present and you know it was probably sent by my husband as a you know a fun thing and she was partially right it was sent by her husband but it was a woman in a clown costume that shot her in the face when she answered the door so it does occur out there where it doesn't make sense to be conspicuous, but sometimes people do it because people are crazy. So, yeah. Colchester Overpass was built in 1906 near the site of Sangster Station, a Civil War era railroad station on what was once the Orange and Alexandria Railroad. Because of its association with the legend, the Overpass is a popular destination for paranormal enthusiasts, also known as ghost hunters and curiosity seekers or legend trippers. So, you know, it's kind of a, a cool thing. Even if you're even if you don't believe all the stories, visiting places like that can be fun, in my opinion. Um, I just want to interject and say sure. that I hate the term legend trippers. Okay, why? I've never heard that before. That sounds so silly. Like, ghost hunters, I feel like, kind of evolved naturally. Yeah. Legend trippers, I think people were looking for something to call it and tried to nickname themselves, and it just... I don't think it works. Fair enough. Yeah. Just me being negative. (laughs) As you would expect, interest increases around Halloween... And starting in 2003, local authorities began controlling access to the area during that time. During Halloween 2011, over 200 people, some from as far away as Pennsylvania-Maryland state line, were turned away during a 14-hour traffic checkpoint into the area. Well, I guess they don't want people getting injured, or they think that people are going to try and reenact something, perhaps. Or they just thought that the actual bunny man was going to come out and murder those 200 people. Could be anything. But in 2017, the Amazon original series Lore, based on the podcast of the same name, uses the bunny man legend to introduce the second episode of season one. In the Chris Gethard show episode, Let's Get Scared, host Chris Gethard dresses as the bunny man for the full episode. In 2015, nonfiction author Jenny Cutler Lopez published a full-length feature in the Northern Virginia magazine titled Long Live the Bunny Man. On October 9, 2020, Adult Swim broadcast the story of the Bunny Man as a bump during an episode of Family Guy. Published in the spring of 2021, the short story anthology Dark Words, Stories of Urban Legends and Folklore features the horror story The Bunny Man Salvation by Alex Norcross, which follows a local teenager as he investigates the haunted bridge. 
So, what is your final answer on Bunny Man? I think there was probably something real that people were saying. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like the 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 first couple who totally lied about being there to visit somebody, mm-hmm. they probably just misidentified like what he was wearing. Yeah. He probably had like some kind of hoodie or maybe not like a hoodie as we know it today, but some kind of hooded jacket or something like that that mm-hmm. might have had either something on it or the way the light hit it looked weird or whatever. Yeah. Because like you said, if you were really going to try to hurt somebody, like you, you wouldn't want to dress conspicuously like that. Yeah. Although then again, if you were trying to scare somebody away from your property, you might dress like that. Just It's like just this thing of like them. confusing, yeah, confusing and scaring people to the point that they don't come back if you don't want them to come back. It's basically the plot of every Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> like just scare them and confuse them to where they stay away. Right, yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I don't think that there's an actual bunny man that is resurrected on Halloween each year or a ghost of the bunny man. I really believe that, yeah, it was a misidentification of of what the person was wearing. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, like you said, though, if, if you are going to scare somebody, why not a bunny suit? But... I would think that an axe through the or a hatchet through the window would do the trick just the same. And by the same token, it's kind of concerning. I mean, I know that back in 1970, there wasn't DNA, but there could have been fingerprints on it. It, I don't know. It just it's distressing that they were kind of just told like, ah. Eh, don't worry about it. Here's the act or here's the hatchet. And this person just kind of got away with it. Even if it's on your property, you can't just, you know, go and smash a person's window in with a hatchet. Now you might say, Hey, you know, get the hell out of here. I don't want to see you. And maybe this was, maybe this was the third or fourth time he saw those people there and was just fed up. But yeah, you can't, you can't just, smash a hatchet through somebody's window and get away with it although that seems to be exactly what happened yeah i was about to say history seems to be proving otherwise (laughs) so i don't know that's that's my thoughts urban legend all the way although yeah although this is an urban legend i actually have more respect after having talked about max headroom Mm -hmm. for those guys because like you know, we're, we're assuming that a lot of what we've seen and read about that relate to the Bunny Man are people reacting it, mm-hmm. copying it, trying to drum up publicity for it or just get in the news. But it's like the people who did Max Headroom, that broadcast piracy sort of incident, there was no clear motivation to do it. Right. They just did it to do it, and they didn't claim any kind of responsibility afterwards. They just like... I don't know. I kind of like the idea that they were just committed to it being a, a mystery. Yeah. Like, they're like, we can do something nobody else can do or very few other people can do. We're going to do it, and then we're never going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just going to be a mystery we're going to let go. Like it was the Because that was 35 years ago. Yeah. That's awesome. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they didn't do anything too terrible. They were weird, for sure. Provocative. But, you know, they didn't show 
anything horrific. Anything that would have warranted like a year in jail or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know exactly who it was, how it happened, and why it happened. But until they, you know, come out, then maybe there'll be a deathbed confession. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you 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 remember that uh, Max Hedrum incident from seventy three years ago? It was me. I did. Yeah. He's gonna like pull out a box from a hidden safe in the wall. It's gonna have a Max Headroom mask, a dildo, and a writing crop. <laughs> yeah, or someone in his family will find it and he'll be like, "I can explain this." Do you remember yeah. that? <laughs> oh man. Uh, All right. Well, I guess if you're out there and you happen to be hiding a Max Headroom mask, a dildo, and a uh, writing crop. You just found your excuse, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Grandpa, what's this? We found this box. <laughs> yeah, Grandpa was a rebel back in the day. Took yeah. over a TV station. But, uh, I guess that's all she wrote for the Bunny Man. Thanks for choosing Cryptique for your listening pleasure. Please subscribe and tell a friend and send us case suggestions, comments, concerns, thoughts anything you feel like really at crypticpodcast at gmail.com don't forget to check out movie how and exploring evil and have a good evening Captain has turned off the no smoking sign.